session with Dr. Farid Holaku. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tulakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, our studio number 3104410555. The book of the week for this week is The Voices Within by Charles Fernihoff. The Voices Within, The History and Science of How We Talk to Ourselves by Charles Fernihoff. And uh, I came across this book, or it was mentioned in last week's book, uh, You're Not Listening by Kate Murphy, and it was a very, very interesting um, part of the book, not a whole chapter, where she talked about his work, Charles Fernihoff, and I thought it was very fascinating as a Therapists were always working with clients and we see how the way they talk to themselves can be so critical and impactful on how they feel, how they feel about themselves, how they live their lives. And so essentially, we can talk about our relationships in life, but one of the ones we sometimes forget because we don't even think of it as a relationship is the relationship that we have with ourselves. And so a big part of that or something that's going to reflect how we feel about ourselves is how we talk to ourselves. So. Um, it's not just about that type of self-talk, as he mentions in the, the parts of the book I've read so far. It, it gets into things like hallucinations, which he also thinks can be, in a way, pejorative. So he'll call it at times, um, I think it was voice hearing. But anyway, looking forward to reading that book and sharing it with you on Monday's show. So today I wanted to start off talking about healing, which of course is a very general and broad topic, but especially looking at healing emotional pain from our past. And related to that, it brings up issues that people experience, like should you focus on the past? Uh, is it important to look back at the past? In relationships, people will feel like, well, that was in the past, so we should just move forward. Um, but what I wanted to talk about today is how we must feel to heal. That when we have pain from the past, if we don't heal it, we won't get better. And the only way to heal it is to feel it. You have to go through the feelings. The only way out is through. You can't just avoid them and want everything to be okay. And this also brings up some thoughts that people have such as, well, doesn't time heal everything? And first of all, no, I wouldn't say it heals everything, but of course time can be incredible uh, when we look back, for example, you might remember what you felt the day of, let's say, a breakup or the loss of a loved one or something, and you thought you would never move on or get over it. And then you somehow lived on if you didn't completely move on. Uh, but you realize that if you look back, you could see how time has been healing, but it's not just time. It's what we do with that time. If you break your leg, 
yes, in a year, hopefully it will be better. But if every day you run on that leg or try to run on that leg or continue getting hit in that leg, it's not going to heal. So time alone does not heal. It depends on what we do with that time. But yes, with time, if we focus on healing and let ourselves recover and do what is necessary to get um, feel better or to heal from that pain, we will heal with time, but it depends on what we do. So coming back to this issue of, uh, of emotional pain, uh, using that same analogy of breaking your leg, when people get injured in the past, if you hurt yourself in the past, if you still have some ways that you suffer from it, people don't tell you to just get over it or it was in the past. So someone, let's just use that same example, breaks their leg and it's always a little bit weaker. People aren't going to tell you, well, that was in the past. You should be fully strong now. They understand that sometimes there's damage that remains from the ways we are hurt or things that happen to us. So they wouldn't have that expectation that because it was in the past, you can't have any feelings or anything uh, holding you back in any way. But we expect that when it comes to feelings. Oh, that was so long ago. Come on, get over it. Or that's too long ago to bring up. Or um, if you focus on the past, you're never going to move forward. These kinds of things that we tell someone who is feeling some pain, we don't give them that same space or that same benefit of the doubt in the sense that, you know what, if you're still hurting from something, that's pain. And that means something is still there not because of when it was or if I think it's important or not. I can tell you whether or not you should be hurting or feeling anything about that. And something I always strive to do on this show is to bring about some kind of equity between our physical pain and our emotional or psychological pain. Because usually when we look at things like physical illnesses, medical illnesses, people are very understanding and sympathetic. We feel bad for the person involved or if there's family members we give a lot of sympathy and that's actually great so it's not saying we should make that less but unfortunately when people have mental illness or mental pain they don't get that same kind of reaction or response we usually blame the person suffering if they have depression or anxiety or schizophrenia we will look at them as somehow less than or different or weak or crazy or a bunch of other words we might describe them with, but it doesn't come with that same kind of empathy and care and sympathy for what they're going through. Or family members, we might think, oh, you should just get away from them, or maybe we blame them. If your husband or wife is depressed, somehow it's your fault. We, we approach things very differently, unfortunately, when it comes to mental, emotional, psychological pain than we do with physical pain. And so I try to make these connections or bring up these issues to remind us that are they really so different or should we look at them so differently and not even go down this uh, tangent for too long but even how we separate emotional pain and physical pain and medical illnesses is something that it's sometimes we're just splitting hairs but it's not so clear what we're talking about if you are depressed it's going to have physical symptoms too you might feel more fatigued you might have headaches um, you might have stomach issues that come up, especially let's say if you have anxiety, same thing. And the reverse, if you get diagnosed with cancer, dealing with the diagnosis and what happens will have, of course, huge psychological impacts. And then uh, even what you experience physically will affect you psychologically. So our emotional and physical 
experiences and pains and wellness are not separate. They're definitely integrated and together. So really when we're talking about equating the importance or the significance of emotional pain to physical pain and medical illness and mental illness, trying to make them more on the same line, we're really talking about making all aspects of human suffering, however it's expressed, become something that's worth having care and respect for. So it doesn't matter what it is and even try to tease that apart. Oh, is it just psychological or is it just physical? Almost never will it be purely one of those things. It will almost always have both. And so if we look at the human being as a whole person, as a whole unit, we'll recognize if there's any kind of suffering or pain that's worthy of being given respect, taken seriously, and, and given that same level of compassion that we would do, regardless of, of what that type of suffering is. So that's just kind of a side note on that. But so if we come back to dealing with our emotional pain from the past, we can think that it's better to move forward. But if we don't pay attention, and if we don't heal what's happened in the past, it will inevitably affect us and affect our relationships. So when I encourage people, whether it's in general, but of course in therapy, this is something that is constantly being done, is trying to uncover and understand and heal past pains and past wounds to move forward. It's not because I want the person to go backwards or I want the person to stay stuck in the past or I don't want them to move forward. It's because I know that if they don't heal those things, if they don't understand what's happened to them and then heal as much as they can what's happened to them, they won't be able to move forward in the best way. They'll continue to suffer from those pains. So it's similar to uh, an athlete. If she doesn't want to focus on her injuries because she wants to move forward, well, she won't heal those things that will get in the way of her performance and her getting injured worse. Uh, and she won't actually be able to operate or function or perform at her highest level. So she's not focusing on her injuries because she wants to stay stuck in the past or stay a victim or uh, not move forward. It's actually so she can move forward in a better way and in the best way. She has to look at, okay, I still have this calf injury. I have to do some treatment for that or be aware of how I'm doing that or maybe I need to take some time off um, or whatever else the injuries and the, the things that, is, that she's dealing with. She's gonna have to pay attention to that to then move forward in the best way. So it's not at all about trying to stay stuck in the past. It's actually about trying to heal the past to create a better present and future. We can't move forward until we heal what's happened behind us. We have to go back before we can go forward sometimes or to truly go forward in the best way. And so why do we avoid going there? Well, one of the most simple reasons is that it's very painful, obviously. If we're talking about pains and wounds from the past, almost by definition, they're going to be painful to get in touch with and to uh, look at and to try to heal. Unfortunately, we can't heal something without going there. And that's why I started the segment saying we must feel to heal. If you don't feel those things that are there, you can't just kind of talk your way out of them or just convince yourself it wasn't a big deal, which is what people try to do, whether it's to ourselves or other people will tell you, oh, just forget about it. It doesn't matter. What's the point? And this is something else that also comes up uh, in therapy, both individually, with couples, with families. They say, okay, well, okay, I did that five years ago. What's the point of talking about it? Can we change it? And of course not. We can't change the past ever, but we can change 
how we feel about what's happened in the past and we can heal things that have happened in the past without ever changing the actual events. So someone says something very hurtful to you, they can never take back those words. That's done. That is in the past what has happened. But what we feel and what we take going forward can be hugely affected by what we do. If that person apologizes, acknowledges that they've hurt you, acknowledges they were wrong and that they feel bad about it, still will never take back those words, but it can have a huge impact about how much you are hurt by what happened and also how you feel about that person and how comfortable and safe and uh, connected you feel in that relationship with them going forward. If you have been hurt by them and you have not healed what they've done to you, then you won't be able to move forward. So again, it's not about let's stay stuck in that past because I want to talk about that fight again so we get mad at each other. It's about let's go talk about that fight and that argument because I want to heal what happened between us so I feel better, you feel better, and we feel better about each other and we can move forward in a better way. It's not about staying stuck. And actually, paradoxically, when we don't face the past, we stay stuck in the past. If you have hurt me in some way and it really bothered me and I'm still feeling that and we never address it, we'll stay stuck there. It's almost like that fight is still happening. Even if we don't talk about it, that fight is every day having a negative impact on our relationship. So this is where we have some of these paradoxical experiences where we think, well, if I look backwards, aren't I staying more in the past? But if we don't look back and if we don't heal what's happened, we're going to stay in the past. We're going to stay there. We're not going to move forward. So the goal of going backwards in these situations is actually about progress. It's about moving forward and going forward in a better direction. So if you are someone looking at your own pain, recognize that, yes, it's going to be painful to go there. And I completely understand that. This is something that comes up in therapy where you have to also be aware of how much you bring up with the client or have the client bring up and you want to keep an eye on that or you're mindful of that similar to if you're pushing someone physically let's say if you're a personal trainer of course you want to push them but if you push them too much they're going to damage themselves and it'll be too much for them and they'll actually get more hurt so as a therapist you have to be aware and as individuals we also want to be aware of this that bringing up too much can be overwhelming and it might make you shut down, it might make you feel like you can't handle it, and then you might not want to go back again to look at those feelings if it is too much. So as much as I'm encouraging you to look at that pain and to get in touch with it, we do have to be mindful that if we're dealing with uncomfortable, painful, traumatic memories, especially from the past, we have to be very mindful of how much we bring up and when, and to give ourselves some space to slowly go there and uncover and unravel what is there, whether we're talking in a personal sense or in a relationship. Now, after the break, I'll continue on this topic a bit more about what makes it so difficult, what makes us not want to look at the past, and also how we can try to heal both individually and together in our relationships. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dulaqui. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. Studio number 310-441-0555. So in the previous segment, I was talking about how we need to heal or we need to feel to heal and how important it is for us to address what we've gone through and the pains we've experienced in the past in order to make sure we can move forward in the best way. Not to stay focused on the past, not to stay stuck in the past, and not because we want to look back and not look forward, but actually because we want to heal everything we have gone through or the best that we can to move forward in the best way we can, both individually and in our relationships. Now, I do want to make a side point, which might sound like it's contradicting what I'm bringing up, but it isn't that it's just that we always want to be aware of what we're doing and how much we're doing certain things. Sometimes we do want to stay stuck in the past. Some people or uh, all of us can go through these experiences. There can be times where we prefer staying stuck in the past and we might choose not to heal and to move forward. So this doesn't mean that no matter what, if we're looking back, that's always good. Of course, it can be too much or it can be done in the wrong ways or done for the wrong intentions. So you have to really look at that and ask yourself, what am I doing when I'm looking back at this? So what do we get if we stay stuck in the past or stay stuck in that feeling of hurt? So to begin with, if we stay stuck in that painful space or if we don't want to heal, it does make it so that we don't have to expect much from ourselves and people don't have to expect much from us either. So going back to that uh, analogy of breaking your leg, if you always make sure your leg stays broken, then people aren't going to expect much from you, let's say physically, um, whether it's doing things or doing things around the house or helping them with something. And so you can always point to that as your reason why you can't do more. And in that way, it takes away your responsibility uh, to do anything or to have expectations on you. And so emotionally, people can do this too. We can say, oh, it's because I'm so hurt, I can't move forward. For example, people might say, because I got hurt in this past relationship, I can't date again, or I can't think about romantic relationships. And of course, we can be traumatized from what happens to us. We can have really painful experiences. But at times, we might choose to stay in that space because it's more comfortable. And here again is where that word comfort zone or that concept of a comfort zone can be so paradoxical to people because comfort sounds really nice. When you talk about a comfortable chair or a comfortable couch, you think it feels really good to be in this space, to sit on this. But in our comfort zones, when we're talking about an emotional or psychological uh, framework, comfort means we're used to it and we have adapted to it, but usually it means we feel really bad in it too. Most people's comfort zones leaves them feeling unhappy, unsatisfied, and unfulfilled. But they prefer that feeling, prefer the devil they know to the devil they don't know, of facing what they would have to face to get over it or get out of their comfort zone and to move out into that unknown space, which is going to be scarier than being in a space you already know, even if you don't like it. It's kind of like the analogy of being in a prison and thinking you're in a prison, but you hold the key to get out. That's sometimes how our comfort zones can become. You're in this prison that you've created by yourself and you convince yourself that you can't get out, but you're the one holding the key, but you prefer to stay in that space. So if we, we stay in that unhealed space and we keep bringing up how hurt we are, it can at times be with the intention of 
letting ourselves off the hook that we don't have to have responsibility we don't have to try anything new people shouldn't expect too much out of us and we don't expect much out of ourselves either also at times people can use that pain and showing that wound or showing that scar to the person that hurt them in a way of holding power over them or in a sense saying you owe me and so people at times might use that to be like if you have hurt me how dare you even think of leaving me or going away or in this relationship you always will owe me and i can keep bringing this up or reminding you of how you hurt me to get you to do what i want to even now use you and maybe abuse you in some ways because I can go back to remember when you did that so you don't want to do whatever it is I'm asking you now uh, and so we use that in a way as a weapon it's not just because we can't heal we're choosing to hold on to that because it gives us some power in the relationship either to get what we want from you but also it can be to convince ourselves well the person can't leave me they've already hurt me so bad so in this way i never have to be afraid of losing that person as long as i hold on to the fact that they have hurt me that they are the ones who are wrong they can never now take that next step of course that doesn't have to be true if anything living in that kind of relationship might make someone want to get away even more but we might convince ourselves or in an unconscious way think that this could be uh, our way of keeping them and making sure we don't lose them so we always want to reflect on as always what's our intention with what we are doing if we're staying stuck in some pain what might be the reason is it really because it's so painful and it's so hard to heal which of course can be the case or is it actually at some level we don't want to let go of that pain because we're afraid of what's on the other side if we do heal and very often that can be the case. We have to take a close look at ourselves and see what's going on. But now coming back to what hopefully will be a more healing and a healthy way, when we have two people in a relationship, it can be very easy for the person who has hurt the other person not to want to go back to that pain for multiple reasons. Again, individually even it's painful, so going back to that pain is not going to feel comfortable uh, as, let's say, a couple or two family members to address what has happened so we know that's not going to be comfortable but also it could bring up these feelings of guilt if we're going back to a time where one person hurt the other person it can make sense that the person who is in this case let's call the perpetrator or the one who has been the hurting their, their partner to not want to go back there to not want to talk about that because the story is presented as here you are as the bad guy or the bad girl in this situation and so this is why we want to be aware that although there's a lot of pain of course it can be intense that our focus isn't about punishing the person who has hurt you your intention is let's go back there and talk about this so we can judge you and talk about how bad of a person you are healing is not going to come from judging either person it's going to come through understanding and acknowledging what's happened and trying to move forward but if we get stuck in blame we're not going to move forward it doesn't mean you won't be angry or hurt and you you need to express that of course you do but if you just focus on blaming them so they become the bad guy or the bad girl you're not going to actually heal and move forward so we want to be very aware of how we approach these conversations they are very delicate they are very uh, uncomfortable for both people so we have to understand that we want to go in there and give ourselves the best chance of handling these sensitive conversations well which means at times we don't want to come into it too hot with our feelings especially from the start we want to see if we can start it in a more calm way a slower way 
where it doesn't get too intense at the beginning because that's more likely to make one or both of you shut down and not want to talk about it. So if you're the person who has hurt this loved one, of course it makes sense you don't like thinking about it or talking about it. But think about what you're doing when you don't talk about it or acknowledge it. And this is something that comes up in therapy all the time where you have a family member or partner say, oh, well, it wasn't even a big deal. So we'll totally invalidate the pain or it was so long ago or a whole bunch of other things. And all that does is now, if anything, open that wound more or make it bigger because now we feel like not only did you hurt me, but you're saying either I'm the problem, I'm sensitive that I'm hurt or somehow it was my fault, or it wasn't a big deal. In whatever way, you're not acknowledging that you have hurt me. And that is really one of the, the, the worst things we can do to our partners to make them feel like their feelings don't matter, but especially to tell them that when I hurt you, it was somehow your fault, or definitely not my fault. And hopefully we can have that humility with ourselves and recognize I'm a human being, I'm imperfect, and of course I've made mistakes. Hopefully you've only hurt your partner unintentionally, um, but even in that case, still you're gonna hurt your partner even if you've never intended to, you never tried to hurt them, it's gonna happen. It's part of any kind of close relationship is there's going to be some pain. There's gonna be some moments where you will hurt one another and that needs to be healed. And if we don't wanna address it, we're actually gonna make things worse. If you break that leg and you want to pretend like it's not broken, it's only going to get worse. It's not going to get better by avoiding or denying. So we jump to denial because we don't know if we can handle the feelings that are there. It does take some level of emotional courage and bravery to face these pains and these uncomfortable conversations from the past. I acknowledge people when they go there because I know it is difficult. That's why sometimes people have these conversations in front of a therapist or with the support of a therapist because they might feel like they can't handle it on their own. And I'm not saying you can't. Many times you are unaware of how much you can or what you can handle until you face it, but it can be helpful to have that support of someone else who can help facilitate the conversation, could try to help you both understand each other better because sometimes in these conversations, it gets so heated, you might not feel like the other person's getting you and you're not getting them. Sometimes the therapist can help facilitate that type of conversation or that way of sharing feelings and sharing understanding with each other. But going there does take some courage. I get that, that it's easier to not go there. If you're just sitting around watching TV and then your partner brings up something from the past, of course you'd rather focus on watching your show and being present in that moment or enjoying that day rather than going back and revisiting something painful. But we have to think about the cost. If we don't look at it, it doesn't go away. If we don't try to heal it, the wound doesn't heal. It just gets bigger and lingers and affects us and affects our partner even more over time. So hopefully we will take that step, even if it's uncomfortable in the moment, recognize that if my partner, and I've kind of shifted it more to a romantic relationship, but of course it could be with anyone you were close with, but if my loved one is hurt in any way, but is hurt by something I did, I should make that a priority that I address it, that I talk about it, that I'm there for them. Yes, it's uncomfortable. It might bring up these feelings of, am I a bad person? Am I a bad husband or wife or a bad family member? But if we can give ourselves that space to be human, that we're going to make mistakes, we're going to hurt our partner, 
And if I care about them, do I want them to walk around with this wound without my support, without my help? Do I want to let them just suffer because I don't want to face it? Hopefully we'll recognize that even if it is painful and uncomfortable, allowing our friend, loved one, uh, partner to suffer without our support is really the worst thing we can do and really a form of neglect. We're neglecting their pain, neglecting their feelings. We want to make sure we are there for them, that we turn towards them when they share that pain. Not only that, of course, if they're suffering, we want to be there. But if we're the person that hurt our partner, if we're the one that caused that pain, not only, of course, should we feel that we have to address it, it would be our responsibility to address it, but we also have the most power to heal them when it comes to that issue. When we've been hurt by someone, the person who can help us the most is that same person that hurt us. If they acknowledge and genuinely apologize for what happened, that could be the most healing thing anyone could do. What actually happens in therapy a lot of times when you're working with an individual is you're trying to help them heal wounds from pain that was caused by other people, but that other person is not in the room or sometimes might not be uh, ready or accepting of the conversation. So the client might not have that space to have the conversation with that person. And so you experience in therapy how much harder and longer it takes to heal something when the person who hurt you does not acknowledge it and does not apologize for what they have done when you have to try to just heal it on your own. And it is possible people do that all the time. That's a big part of therapy. Sometimes the person, again, doesn't want to have the conversation, will just dismiss the issue, or they might not even be alive, or you might not have a relationship with them to have that conversation. And so people are forced to heal on their own without the benefit of having the person who hurt them be a part of that process. But recognize that when you've hurt your loved one, you have so much power to heal that wound or to be a part of that, not to say that you're fully responsible for it, but that you have so much power in that moment to be there for them, healing power for your loved one and recognize the value in that, that if I acknowledge and recognize my partner's pain, I can help them heal. And also if I don't, the pain won't go away. And if anything, it'll make our relationship worse. So it'll hurt them and it'll even hurt you in the long run. So as always, we have to make the choice that doesn't feel as good in the moment. Yes, if you want to exercise in the morning, but you're tired, it feels nicer to just lay in bed. But you know that if you exercise, it'll be better. If your partner brings up an uncomfortable conversation, it's much easier to dismiss it in some way. Oh, you brought it up now. It's not good timing. Or, oh, come on, let's not focus on the past. I want us to move forward. Whatever excuse you're coming up with, it's just that, an excuse. It is tough to talk about the past, but your partner bringing it up does not mean they want to stay stuck in the past. They might be extending to you this opportunity to say, I want us to heal what's happened so that we can love each other even better, even more, and go forward stronger. I don't want to stay stuck in the past. I want to heal the past so we can move forward in the best way. And again, unfortunately, it would be nice if we cannot go there and just heal it, but we have to feel to heal. You have to go back and look at what happened and get into the feelings and get into the uncomfortableness of what happened and what's going on in order to really heal what's happened. Many people try to heal from a distance. They want to just not think about it too much, not talk about it and say, okay, what happened? Okay, let's go. Let's move forward. 
but that's not going to work. It's like if you're trying to heal someone, but you're in the next room, you can't really give them that healing unless you are close together. We have to, in that way, not to make it sound dramatic, but go back to the scene of the crime. We have to bring back the feelings and the event and everything that surrounded it to really uncover the pain that is there and to start that healing process. So any relationship we have, almost every relationship, has some uncomfortable conversations that need to be had that we haven't had. And so you want to look at your own relationships, especially, of course, the close relationships that you really value, and think, what are some of the conversations we haven't had? What are some of the painful events or instances that happened in our past that we haven't healed or addressed? And make that effort to go into that uncomfortable space with your loved one to try to heal what's happened to move forward in a better way. Let's go to our next commercial break, studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back, studio number 310-441-0555. Let's go to a caller, Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, yes, you're on the air. Okay, uh, hello, uh, Dr. Farid. Um, I called you back in April about my son, but unfortunately I was out because I didn't want my son to hear our conversation, uh, and I ran out of the battery and it was disconnected. Um, okay, so, we'll, and, we'll and, kind of start from scratch. Yeah, we'll probably start from scratch. Yes, I'm not sure if you can hear me. But if you want to start from the beginning, I might not remember most of the details yes. anyway. So. Um, okay, so basically, uh, my son is 28 years old. Uh, he's my only son, but my ex uh, remarried, and uh, uh, my son has a half, um, uh, sorry, uh, half, yeah, half, half uh, sister uh, who is six years younger than him. Uh, mm-hmm. My ex is uh, English, and of, of course, my son was born here. Um, the, the reason I called you back in April, which is also the same reason I'm calling you now, but at the time I didn't give you much background. If you would like, I'll give you more background, sort of a brief summary from birth sure. uh, up to here, but otherwise I'll just tell you what the current, uh, basically what the problem is now. Sure, we can get a little yeah more into the background. Go ahead. Okay, so basically uh, it was a difficult uh, birth I had uh, after 20 some, uh, 22, 23 hours. Uh, I was told that the umbilical cord was uh, caught around his neck and that it had to be uh, cesarean section. So, uh, so it was a difficult birth. Uh, and then um, I divorced my um, ex uh, when my son was nearly four years old. Uh, he had good contact with his father every Wednesday and every other weekend for two days as well as the holidays. And uh, as he was growing, he adored his uh, father and, and their background because he had a range with all animals and, and, and everything. So he, he loved the time he spent with his father, and I encouraged that. Uh, and so that was that. Um, he, he had uh, um, separation anxiety, and when I put him at playgroup at the age of uh, three and a half, four, uh, after a few days, uh, that every day he was crying. I decided not to continue with that. And, of course, I know I made a mistake. Um, basically, out of uh, too much love and concentrating on him, I know I have made a number of mistakes. Of course, at the time, I wasn't uh, familiar with the subject of psychology, or maybe I was a little bit, in my ignorance, dismissive of it. And uh, so, so I did make mistakes. 
Uh, then he went to private uh, pre-prep uh, and at school all the way uh, until university. Uh, in in uh, primary and even most of the secondary school, he was one of the top of the class. He was always delivering and uh, even without applying himself much. Um, and although uh, the teachers uh, consistently uh, from the beginning, uh, they would in the report uh, mention that uh, he should participate more and stuff like that, but I never... You know, took you know took it seriously. I thought he's doing well, and that was it. And then uh, towards the early teens, he started um, a little bit being distracted by people who basically the naughty ones, uh, and uh, you know would miss class and here and there. And still, he managed to get A's and A stars in his GCSEs. And then he went to A level years, uh, and without applying himself, he got uh, a B and a, sorry a B B C in maths, physics, and biology. Uh, of course, that was kind of disappointed to myself because I expected A. Uh, and again, that's a, another mistake I made throughout the um, and, you know from the years that he started you know sort of being with friends and not attending and not applying himself. I was kind of not forcefully, not in a bad way, but in a sort of uh, quiet way but a still wrong way I would imply that I expected more from him academically and of course that mm-hmm. didn't result in anything positive uh, so he, he got his BBC in A-levels which is the sort of the system here and uh, he didn't know what he wanted to do, his father kind of sat with him and they decided he should do electrical engineering he went to one of the good universities here but after a few months, he said, um, I'm not happy with this course, and I always loved biology, and I said, fine, you, you want to change, you change. And his father had the same uh, response, and so that year was wasted. He just stayed at the uni and had a good time, you know, partying, and then uh, he did the environmental biology. He did not apply himself at all. He was just... Um, you know, thinking about he was going to develop an app with friends, and he said, I'm just doing it for you guys, for basically myself and my ex. Mm-hmm. And uh, he managed to pass without applying himself, but of course, again, that was a disappointment. Uh, from then, he just worked a few months here and there, and then uh, he went traveling for two years um, uh, in uh, New Zealand and Australia. Uh, he, um, sorry, w- am I, shall I continue? Yeah, well, we can, you know. Uh, it's interesting. There's a few times you've already said the word disappointment or you were disappointed in him. And that's that's already my concern of what I'm hearing. And even what he said, I'm doing this just for you guys. That's a that's a big problem that he's not uh, doing things for himself. Let's you know, let's fast forward a little bit to what's going on now. I mean, that was a pretty good okay. background because I want to know yeah. what's happening now and what your concern is. And yeah. and, you know, if anything, it might be that we have to give him more space rather than intervene more. Yeah. But let, let's hear what's going on. Absolutely. I was just saying that so it would give you an indication how I would, I might have hurt him and, and uh, you know, contributing mm. to what he has now. So that was my intention. Um, so basically then uh, he came back. I'll just finish just in a few more sentences what he's been doing since. He came back and he worked for my company for a few months and then he said no, he wanted to do something else. He went in to work for another company a few months and then he was saying that he is really passionate about making music and I said okay then why don't you do a master in sound and music he did that and despite the fact that he had no background in it at all he got a distinction which was amazing Uh, everybody else had done it before and from then on he's been basically busy with uh, producing and recording music of course not making money but continuing 
Now, all along until this COVID-19 crisis started, I kind of was worried maybe he suffered from ADHD or stuff like that, of a milder sort of mental disorder, but I never thought anything more serious. And then with the uh, onset of the crisis uh, with COVID-19, mm-hmm. um, he started uh, having paranoia, paranoid thoughts and saying that he was the 5G, you know, affecting the immune Towers. system. Mm-hmm. And that's and basically, um, he, he, he was like totally like upside down and uh, he started buying uh, hat and uh, vest made of uh, silver threads to give himself protection. And uh, it was really a bad period and it was obviously lockdown and we couldn't do much. Even when wild camping, I tried to go with him for a couple of days and tried to bring him back. And then he came back when the police said that everybody had to go, to go home. Uh, that was a really bad period from then on and I was so distressed he then started sort of to get a little bit sort of uh, calmed down he still has got the same sort of paranoia but uh, not to the extent he's he, he given up he's given up wearing the hat and the vest and uh, he's basically just worried that you know this is going to happen he's become cynical about so many things in fact about government any institution medicine just name it. And of course, he thinks there is nothing wrong with him. He says, I wish other people could see, you know, what is happening. And mm. so this is where we are at the moment. So if you have any questions yeah. that I have left any gap, please ask. Otherwise, I ask you my question. Sure. Well, I mean, but I'll just make some, you know, some comments. Uh, you know, I remember now when you called and, and some of those things are um, familiar from when you called a few months ago. Uh, but yet yeah, it, it is concerning what you're saying. And of course, there's a lot of people that do think those things too. So maybe even people listening might might agree with some of those things. I think it does sound like there's um, some the paranoia you described. That to me would be how I would view the situation as well. And I can understand your concern. At his age of 28, um, usually these types of things would have shown up earlier if there is really some kind of, let's say, schizophrenia or something else going on but it's not necessarily it has to and I'm not def- uh, saying at all that he has something like schizophrenia but I can understand your concern and because of how severe it is that of course makes you more concerned but it also means we have to be aware that we're not going to be able to just fix this situation it's a really it sounds like there's a lot going on um, and, and so I do want to, of course, ask what you are wondering and your questions, but we, we do want to make sure we're not thinking that we're going to make him totally change his mind or, or get out of this state of mind completely. But let me know what your questions are. Okay. So my first question is, uh, of course, uh, at the time when uh, this thing started, which was like shocking and ex- unexpected, and I even contacted my ex, uh, whom I haven't been in touch for a long time, just asking his view and what we should do. And he said, oh, no, no, that's the way he is. He just... Uh, kind of pick something and and it's true he he's true in what he was saying uh he picks something and he just takes it you know to to its logical conclusion and you know like until there is nothing left of it and then he leaves it goes to something else so he said no don't worry so that that was what he said and in a in a way I kind of agree with that except that his cynicism is kind of gone too much Sometimes he looks, uh, you know, when the aeroplane uh, in the sky, they, they, they move and they leave like a smoky trail behind them. He's, he thinks that maybe they're trying to poison. So that's going mm-hmm. like too far in the recent time, although he has kind of um, calmed down from the point of view that, you know, the 5G is hurting so much and he has to go be somewhere in the greens and whilst camping. So he's not like that, but he's cynical about 
almost everything else. Um, so my question is, at the time when this was happening, I was like, um, I didn't know what to do. So I was saying, yes, you are right, you know, to an extent, but it's not that bad. And sometimes I was panicking. I was trying to reason with him. Uh, but that was then, uh, since then, I kind of say, which is in a way true, I say, yes, there are things going wrong, you know, with, with, with our society today. The 5G is probably hurting us and affecting our cognitive sort of behavior, but we don't really know what it is. Life is not as bad, you know, you have to be positive. So this has been sort of consistently um, for the last few months my approach. I just want to know whether I should continue or whether I should sort of more go towards his way and say you're absolutely right in order to make him feel that he's not on his own and sort of gain his mm. trust more. Well, you know, these are, it is very tough. And if we're talking about what appears to be delusions, um, either way, you're not going to convince him. You know, if you try to convince someone who has some kind of belief, and we see this even with like political things. So I, I don't want to just say this is about delusions. People don't seem to change their mind when they really believe something 100%. And the way you're describing it, it seems like he believes these things 100%. So to try to convince him through logic, unfortunately, probably won't get you anywhere other than just having arguments with him. Um, now, going the other end and saying he's absolutely right, you don't necessarily need to do that either. You, it, it, it depends on how he reacts, and you can tell me. But you can at times tell him, I'm not sure if I totally agree, but you know, we can agree to disagree, and he might not like that. But I don't want you to feel this pressure that you have to go into his world 100%. And mm -hmm. I also want to add this, that there's no easy way of dealing with this. Um, where I want you to think you need to figure out a way that you and him communicate perfectly smoothly because it's probably not going to happen. So don't put that pressure on yourself that you need to find a way to make it that he tells, you know, feels totally okay because it seems like he's not feeling okay, which means that whatever you do, he probably won't feel great. But what has been his response in general when you either agree or slightly disagree? Is he reactive? Is he open? Yes, when I agree, I mean, sometimes genuinely he talks about something and I genuinely agree because, you know, he, he's cynical and, and myself when I was young, I, I was kind of radical about certain issues and I would go to demonstrations um, and I still have got, um, you know, things which are very close to my heart. So sometimes he mentions something and I'm kind of totally genuinely on his side and, and I see the happiness, kind of the, the way he changes and in his eyes that it's kind of he likes what, what, what you know, what he hears. Uh, mm -hmm. in, in other ways, when, when he's so negative and I try to sort of kind of say, yes, it can be, but it's not as bad, you know, you, you can't really look, with every, you look at everything with such a cynical view because that stops you from living your life. Um, and and he, he doesn't, look, well, I can't say he, he reacts in any way, but obviously he, I don't see that kind of, uh, that, that sort of uh, light in his eyes when I agree with him genuinely. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I mean, you're not always going to give a light in his eyes with everything. I mean, I'm not saying we don't want to make him feel good, but I don't want you to feel this pressure that every word that comes out of your mouth, he has to really like it. You know, that's not really uh, realistic anyway. So don't feel that I have to make him only feel good. Don't try to make him feel bad, but you can have a different opinion and see what he thinks. And, and even maybe don't make it about life, like, oh, you can't have a cynical view. You can just say, I'm not sure if I see it that way. You don't have to give him 
uh, a life advice that he has to change his perspective, you can just say, well, I don't know. I think that one, I'm not sure if I see that. I, I thought about this and this and this. And then leave it at that, but not necessarily get into you can't think this way or you shouldn't think this negative or something like that. But you can just let him... Yeah. Uh, you know, be there. But I get that it's tough because it seems like when he's, you're having these conversations, I, I'm sure you're anxious the whole time. One, because of his potential reaction and you don't want to make him feel bad. But two, you're concerned because it seems like how he's talking makes you feel like uh, you don't think he's thinking exactly right about these things and you worry about what that means about how he's doing and what he's going to do going forward. Now, uh, you're saying he doesn't think there's anything wrong with how he's thinking and that's that's a challenge you have because he doesn't have what we can call insight so if he yes, you know yes. sometimes if someone's depressed they say oh i'm really depressed they might still be defensive about getting help we know unfortunately due to lots of stigmas and different issues people don't get help even when they have an illness and they see it uh, like a mental illness but um, at least someone who's depressed usually can see oh you know i've been really down I've been, you know, sluggish. I don't have as much energy now. Sometimes they just think this is me now and they don't really think it's some kind of problem, but usually they can at least recognize that. But in this case, it seems like your son, he actually thinks he's more enlightened than everyone else. So rather yeah. than thinking something is maybe wrong, he thinks something is really right with the way he's thinking. And so that makes it challenging to to see how we can get him to get some help. Now, one thing I would say, as I always tell people, rather than trying to convey to him that he needs help, we want to make him feel like he deserves help. So if he's feeling distressed about even this feeling that the whole world doesn't get how I am or the world is asleep and I'm aware of what's going on, you can even share with him. It does seem like, you know, that's a lot of stress. And so for that stress, maybe he could talk to someone if that conversation is possible. He still might react to it. But rather than saying, oh, your thinking is really negative, you need to go talk to someone, he'll probably get defensive and think, oh, see, my mom again um, doesn't really get it. And we have to be aware that this a lot of what you brought up is issues related to uh, authority and how they are, you know, have negative intentions. They're you know, have these conspiracies trying to hurt people. So it's likely he'll associate a psychologist or a psychiatrist as part of that system or part of that authority. So just something that also makes it challenging to get him to get help is that he might see the whole system as out to get him. So yeah, if he goes sees a psychologist or psychiatrist and they say, we have to give you something to stop thinking that way, or we have to talk you out of thinking this way, uh, well, he's going to think that here we go again, the system is trying to, to stop me or to get yeah. in the way because I figured it out. So it's tough. It's very challenging to deal with him when he's like this. And of course, like I said, it's the conversations you're having where I'm sure you feel some anxiety or nervous when it's happening, but then you're feeling bad about how you see him doing overall, that he seems um, to not be doing okay. Now you're saying he's doing slightly better than he was a few months ago, but I, but I can get how it's it's tough for you to see your son, and, and really it seems like it is genuinely hard for you to connect with him right now when he is in this frame of mind. Yes, uh, and if you, if you have time for me, I've, I've got um, sort of um, questions in other areas. Sure, how about let's um, let's go to a commercial break. And after the break, we can talk some more and, and see okay. what those questions are. Okay. All right. Let's go to commercial break. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. Before the break, we're with a caller. Let's go back to her now. Hello. Hello. Yes, hello. Yes, hi, I can hear you fine. Yeah, I think somebody disconnected me. Oh, okay. Are you... Uh, we can hear you fine right now. Okay. Are you Dr. Farid? Yes, I am. Yes. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, there is some disturbance. Do you hear me well? I, I hear you okay. Yeah. Okay. So basically now, um, just, just to explain that um, although he was independent and living in his own uh, place, uh, back in January, he moved uh, back home and he has been living with me. And uh, okay. the uh, lifestyle he has at the moment, uh, it's in itself quite boring. Um, he is now recording and producing music, and uh, he has got he rented a studio somewhere not far from where we are in Northwest London. And um, he basically he is working during the night. Uh, he comes home. It can be any any time between two to six a.m. And uh, he sleeps. Uh, half the day, he wakes up, has some breakfast, and he goes. And that's his lifestyle, which, um, in a way, I'm worried about. Um, and also in relation to um, the financial situation, obviously, I have been supporting him. Uh, and uh, that's, again, a dilemma. On the one hand, I really want to help him even more. And at the same time, I think I might actually be contributing towards his lifestyle, because if I wasn't helping him, he would be looking for a normal job, working for a company or something to do with sound and music, and um, he would be having a more kind of normal life. Uh, so I'm kind of having this constant dilemma whether I should withdraw and say, you're on your own, and make him go and look for a job, or I'm worried that that might actually uh, make him sort of go down uh, and get depressed and... Um, don't know, maybe have mm -hmm. some detrimental effects. Well, you know, we also want to be aware that there's um, a lot of space in between those two things, either support him fully or, you know, essentially kick him out of the house. And so you, you could also approach it in a way of talking to him about how he can contribute to the home in whatever way, in some way. So uh, you do want to be aware of not... Um, you know, doing a codependent type of a relationship with him where you're just going to be taking care of him and he's struggling and you're the one bearing the responsibility and you might actually be holding him back more than holding him up. And we want to be mindful of that for sure. And so let me ask you a question as far as the financial side, and if, it might not make a difference because we want to see what's also best for him, but is it a, a burden for you? Is it causing you? No, not at all. No, okay. I'm very, very okay. comfortable. I can actually help him much more. Okay, and that's well. I'm glad it's not causing that burden. Although, of course, it might make it harder for you to pull some of that back because you know you can. And another challenge you have is I know you are concerned about him, and he comes off fragile in a sense. You might be afraid of setting him off or making him worse or adding more stress when he already seems stressed, which I can understand. Uh, but we want to make sure we don't make that so we operate from fear and don't give him any consequences or any. Uh, dose of reality because we're afraid of how fragile he might be that he might maybe can handle more than you realize and so my mindset isn't that we should just say 
you're you're out of the house by you know two weeks if you don't make some money but finding a way where you can work with him and have conversations with him about what's going on so Dr. Farid, i try i have yes. tried that um okay. i have tried that because um uh back uh after i spoke to you at some point um when i was like stressed out i tried to seek help uh professionally and i had consultation with a uh, clinical psychologist uh, mm-hmm. for uh, two and a half hours myself um, and um, and I, I asked the same question at the time he told me um, sit down with your son and say let's work out together you know you look for a job and how long do you need to do that and and this this and that and and I did that and I sat with him and I said Ideally, you should be looking for a job. That's what the intention was when you did the master. You said that you will do it in a few months. If the month has passed, how long do you think you need? And he said, oh, give me two months. The two months passed. He didn't even look for a job. I even looked for jobs and sent him the links, uh, you know, like good jobs, you know, to do the sound and music for projects and movies. And he would just not not even look. He would not even apply. So he didn't basically deliver his part of the bargain. So Sure. Now, one thing I'll say about the uh, the bargain is it sounds like you told him what the bargain was, not that you guys, he really got to share from his side as much. You said, how much, you know, do you, is two months enough and you need to get a job because that's what you told me you were going to do with he studying. He gave me the two months. I okay, asked him, okay. how long do you need? And he said two months. Okay. So, yeah, he gave that side of the bargain. But and even you doing the work is probably not going to be the way, you know, you sending yeah. him the the job. It's tough. And I, I don't want to make it seem like if you have this conversation with him that I would have had, it would have changed. No, because I don't I don't know what how he's going to respond. But we do have to give him more of the the responsibility, meaning that when you see he's not looking for a job and you try to rescue him by looking for the jobs and sending them, that itself is part of the problem is that, he, yeah, he's not even doing uh, one part of it. And so you probably will need to have, of course, more conversations with him. We don't want to bring it up as, oh, you told me you were going to do this and see you didn't and make it a punishing or judging type of a conversation, but to ask him, what does he think about what's happened? So if you're having a conversation with him, you want to make sure he's talking like three or four times more than you, that he is sharing something, not that you're, yeah, you're you know, giving right. him that. You're, you're absolutely right, and I have tried that. I have actually experienced in the recent years, the less I talk, the more he talks. And mm-hmm, sometimes mm-hmm. I just, you know, like genuinely quiet about something has happened yeah. and I'm not talkative, and he makes an effort. But when it comes to, uh, you know, to, to sort of his area and what he should do, he says he doesn't like to work for anybody and he wants to do his own thing. And he kind of very proud. If, if I so far as to mention something that, you know, how long he thinks that I should sort of continue supporting him, uh, he says, oh, mom, I don't want you to support me. I can manage very well. I can look for another job and just get, you know, just any job, he says, I would do in order so that that would enable me to continue with my own sort of thing. And I say, I say to him, but, you know, that, that what the job that you say, any job in order for you to do that thing, then why can't that be a job that is actually close to your passion? And it actually it advances you. He sort of teaches you more um, in, in sound and music. But uh, obviously, I understand that it's probably the classical situation that whatever I say, it's, it's kind of, it's got a resistance to it. And uh, Probably. So and and 
It's not just that it has a resistance to it, and we're not going to look at your advice as whether or not it's good advice, but it's that it's advice that you're putting onto him. And so if he says, I'm going to go get a job and work, whatever it is, I would say just don't get in his way. So, you know, what you're telling me now is like, I just want him to work, but then he wants to go get a job and you say, well, that's not good enough. And so, you know, you're not really giving him that encouragement to go forward. We need him to just to take steps forward, not the perfect step forward that he has to go get a job that's the best job that, you know, and even, you know, you're saying he studied this, he studied that. Well, some of that he also studied this and that because of you and his dad. So to say because you studied electrical engineering, and I know you're saying now it's about music. So I would give him that space that if he says I'm going to go forward, don't get in his way at all. He says, I want to go get a job working at blah. Okay, great. Good luck. How so, can so I are support you? you? Then, uh, sorry, are you then saying that uh, I should gradually or with his agreement, he, he says actually I can move out now, he says, and I say no darling, and that's not what I mean. I just want you to sort of find your way, you yeah. know, how long you need and what your plans are. But he kind of gets very defensive, very proud. He says, oh, I can move now. And I say, and I just leave it and, and because I don't want him to feel like that. So basically, are you saying that um, I should let him get another job. So basically say, okay, I want to sort of cut down on my support uh, so that once once he's gone through his saving, whatever he has, because he came through some money when his grandmother on, on his father's side died and left the, the, every the grandchildren some money. So unfortunately, that didn't help either. And then, of course, I had bought him a flat, and now he's moved into my house. He's actually letting his uh, flat uh, on uh, Airbnb and making money that way. Again, you know, I tried to give him a house to be happy. He moved out of that house, saying it's because of the phone mask near there. So he's making money out of there. He's having the money from mm -hmm. the grandmother. He feels comfortable, and and he's now in living at home. So and and I and I still he he gets kind of financial support because every month there is some money going to his. Uh, I I had said it before and I haven't stopped it. So he's having money coming from everywhere. And so for me to really, for him to get the job that he says he would get, as you say, and I should let him, that means that I should stop, um, you know, him making money from the flat that I got for him and also stop the money that I put into his account every month. Shall I do that? I mean, I don't want to say, you know, it's obviously very complicated when you say you've bought this place, he's renting it out, that's his source of income, but technically it's really yours. And so I don't know exactly what's going to be the process. But what I, my point is that when he says, I want to do a job to not get in his way, that he, you know, don't. He because, only says it because he says, um, like, if he has to move out, obviously he goes through the money quickly because if he has to rent a place, uh, he doesn't want to move back to his flat. He, does, he has yeah. to rent a place and that he has to pay quite a bit so, and has to pay a deposit and everything. And I guess the saving would come to sort of, uh, if, if not finished, it would be very little left. So he then has to go for the job. So in order mm -hmm. for me to, uh, in order for him to get that the job, whatever job that he wants to get, and sort of get back to a degree of normality, and in fact, as you're saying, first take, take the first step. That means for me to sort of stop the uh, the monthly income that I put into his account, as well as stopping him making money from the flat. So basically, saying I have, I have, I want to sell the flat. Maybe. I mean, if you want to sell the flat, I wouldn't do it just to get him out. This is why I think it needs to be more of a conversation. And again, it's not going to be easy. So I don't want you to present it as you're punishing him or now he's stuck and, you, you know, that's it. You can do that. And some people come from that school of thought. My thinking is to have a conversation with him of looking at what he's doing, 
um, him standing on his own two feet, and you're saying he's pr- he gets proud, so maybe he doesn't like talking about it. I understand, and so we especially don't want to make it like a punishing conversation, or I'm cutting you off, I'm not paying you another penny. To well, me, what those... I did say, Doctor Farid, I said to him, I'm not going back on my words. I would uh, I would uh, put everything that I have meant and more, but I put it in a trust, and I said I haven't thought about how long before you can touch that but I, I i come back to to you on that and and of course he was saying no i don't need your money but you know i i, I the way i said it and the way i mean it is that i'm not going to go back and take everything away but i said i would put it in a trust so mm-hmm. that in in later years when he sorted himself out he can go back to it but yeah and so you know what we have to also be aware of of course you care about your son very much but there's also a part where you want to make sure you feel good about how you're helping him. So it's like, well, I'm not going to be taking any money away from him. I'm putting it in a trust so he still gets it. But if our goal is to help him be more self-reliant on himself, then maybe he never gets that money from you and maybe that's okay. Mm-hmm. It, it's not about, you know, so we have to be aware sometimes as people and especially as parents, we can have the sense of, I want to make sure I'm giving because that makes me feel good, even if our giving is actually hurting that person or not good for them. And mm-hmm. there probably is some of that dynamic between you and him that you at some level feel good about providing for him, but then now you're realizing it also holds him back. And that's why you have these mixed feelings about uh, what you're doing with him and how to really support him in the best way might be in some ways supporting him financially less or being less involved. And it's challenging because you've mentioned he can be defensive, the way you're describing him, maybe he's not in the most stable place. So that's why to me, the notion of just completely withdrawing support is not the best, because if you do that, it'll also, in a way, withdraw your relationship from him. It'll damage Uh your relationship Uh if you all of a sudden just say, hey, you know what, Uh, you're out of the house by next month, figure it out. Yeah, it might push him and it could work in some ways, but he'll also then probably have anger towards you. So I think always having it as more of a conversation, finding some middle ground or something where you get him Uh to see what if we come up and again, make it a conversation. How much would you like? And if he goes to, oh, mom, I'm going to be out of the house. I'm going to take care of it. It's like, no, I get that. But I want us to come up with some something more of a plan. And because I can get it, he doesn't like to talk about it or emphasize how he's not paying or how he's not supporting or he you know, already imagines, oh, I'm going to be making so much money soon, don't even worry about it. And don't, don't doubt that that's going to happen. You have to tell him, no, you won't. But say, I'd like for us to come up with something also for now and going forward that's going to be our plan of somehow, um, you know, you contribute if you wanted some amount of rent to this home or whatever it is, something. Because again, our goal isn't to... Uh, give him something our goal is to allow him to give to himself over time so it might mean you give him less but not just give him less in a punishing way give him less because you actually realize that's better for him and have that conversation with him about that and it's tough i I don't uh, want you to think at all that this is an easy conversation or easy situation to manage there are all these moving parts of course you have your uh, his father, who you're not married to, and that has its own things that brings into it. The living situation, there, there's a lot of things that are going on. And also years of things being a certain way. So we know that to try to change this, it's going to take some time. And it's going to be hard for both you and him. But be aware of the ways that you are going to feel some pain in giving less because it feels good to you to give to him, even if we're not always sure it's the best thing when you're giving to him. And so that's also going to be 
a complication on your side that you have to try to be well, aware Dr. of. Harry, that's been, that, that has been the trend uh, throughout the years from his sure. early teens. I was, well, I shouldn't call generous myself, that's not the right word, but I have been sort of giving in, giving him financially in many, many ways. Um, so that's, that's been kind of the trend. And the only time that it stopped was when he was traveling because I was at the time saying, um, I don't think that's the right thing. And uh, if you want to travel, you have to be self-providing. Uh, and that's what he did. He worked and traveled, worked and traveled uh, during the two years. And uh, well, he see, did very but well at the time. But, but see, that's something that's come up a few times is I won't support you unless you do what I approve of. And that, yeah, that theme has come up a few times. And I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it to point out that it's a mistake or you're, 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 you seem like a wonderful mom. You're trying your best to help him and you care about him. But my point is just to be aware that, see, if I do this, this happens or I tried to help him. But, you know, I'm, this theme comes up and you use the word I was disappointed in his grades. I was disappointed at this part of his schooling. I was disappointed. And so not just focusing on how you help him in his career and financially you're obviously first and foremost his mom as a relationship and so you have to focus on how does he think i feel about him and that's what mm -hmm. also makes these conversations difficult is that if he feels like he's a disappointment to you and then you bring up a conversation which might have the theme of you're not doing enough which is in a way again saying i'm disappointed in you it's a tough conversation to have and that's why you want to be very aware of having it without trying without uh, having him feel very judged by it which is going to be tough he already won't like the conversation but i'm saying it's going to be tough to change i'm sure it's been happening for years as you said and that's also because at some level you've liked this even though i know you don't like where you are with him right now there's something about this dynamic that was serving you too to feel good about giving him taking care of him um and feeling good um, about that Yes, I know, Dr. Farid, because he went to um, one of the famous public schools, private school we call here public school, it's funny, it's contradictional mm -hmm. terms. <laughs> um, and he, where he went, there were like uh, kids who were really coming from very, very wealthy background, famous people. And of course, I didn't want him to feel inferior. So whatever other peers had, uh, his friends had, or whatever else they did, uh, skiing, this, that, I provided for him because I felt that otherwise, especially coming from a sort of divorced family, he would feel it. So I didn't do it to make myself feel better. I'm, I not, saying, I, I I, I'm not saying you did it. I'm not saying it was selfish and you only did it for yourself at all. What I'm saying is something about this dynamic is serving you too. And I want you to be aware of that. It's not saying you did everything for yourself. Of course not. I'm sure you love your son. But I want you to see that if we're ever in a dynamic in a relationship, somehow it's about us too. It's not just about your son. And, and even yeah. in the way you're talking about things is that it's just about him taking care of him. But you have to look at how it's also going to be hard for you, like I was saying, if you do give him less. And that's why even sometimes you say, you know what, I'm not going to give him anything anymore. It's almost coming from this anger or I have to go to this extreme place where it's like maybe you can give him less. And I think that's going to be hard for you because you're looking at something you can give him that will take away his immediate pain, let's say, or discomfort. And you're at times going to withhold it, not out of... Uh, a lack of love or dislike, but actually because you love him and you realize that it might help him. But it's going to be hard for you because you're looking at something that helps him and you're going to not give it to him even though you can. But it's because you're looking at the bigger picture long term. And again, it's not something so clear that I can tell you this amount of money or this is exactly the way. But it's something for you to be aware of that when you're pulling back, 
it's going to be harder for you, hard on you as well. And that's something to be, be aware of. You might want to look at some things. I don't want to judge the relationship, but there's some dynamics of codependency there. So there's a book called Codependent No More, or you can just look up some some of those types of resources or talks that people have, because it seems like you and him have this dynamic in your relationship of codependency. And it's very hard to break, but becoming more aware of it might help. Um, actually, it might be the reverse, Dr. Farid, because from his part, uh, I mean, on his part, I, he's, um, he's kind of got this inbuilt resentment um, and whatever i mean I, I just have to start just just to start on any subject he's kind of negative and defensive and before mm-hmm. i say anything i have to prepare darling please don't get defensive or this is not about this you know i just have to introduce it you know have an introduction and just just about things that he should not even be sensitive so well, but, but, but i don't know how do we know he shouldn't be but you're saying he shouldn't be sensitive i don't know what you're talking about specifically but you're discounting his his feelings in a way to say that he's not allowed to get upset with me if i bring something up i, I mean I, i'm no, not no, sure no, that's... but i mean like even talking about a, a subject which is not related to the issues with him like okay. if, I, if i just talk about anything he's kind of defensive yeah, I mean, you mentioned he's, he might he might be reactive in a lot of ways, and I'm not saying he's he's not he's making it easy on you. I'm not saying anything that's going on. It's all you. Of course, you said he's he's difficult to to talk to. So I'm not saying he's he's been easy, and you're the one that's creating this whole thing. It's just been you. Even if you guys have a codependent relationship, that's something you've created together. It's not just yes. on you. So I don't. I'm not putting the blame on on you. It's no, I appreciate that, your... Dr. Farid. Yeah. The, the, what I was going to say is that he he has never had uh, a good relationship with me. Uh, it's been always like a uh, matter of fact, you know, I'm, I'm the mother and, you know, I'm supporting him and all that. He doesn't have a good relationship generally with the family, no matter how much I try to push him towards mm-hmm. his father's but see, side. But you see, know, did but... you hear that again, the word push? We're not. You can't push no, him towards I mean, when, anything. When I, I meant, sorry, that's not the right word. You know, when I was divorcing at the very beginning, my ex was accusing me that I want to take uh, take my son, uh, take his son away, and even in paper court court papers, he was saying, "I'm going to take him away, take him to Iran or America." Uh, he, whereas my approach was the other way around. When I say push, I mean when he was very young. You know, like all divorced parents in my situation, you know, in similar situation, they would say, "Oh, you know, no, you can't take him now." I was always receptive. I was always welcoming and even encouraging. Encouraging is the right word, not pushing. And mm-hmm. and I tried to create that family that I didn't have here to, because, you know, on the father's side, everybody was here. And despite that, I really had to sort of, when he was growing, encourage him to go and see his grandma, to go and see his cousins. And even now with his sister, with his half-sister, who's six years younger than him, Although they had a very good childhood together whenever they were together, um, he doesn't have, he hasn't seen her now for many, many months. And, and that's, but that's, ask, but here's the thing, but here's the thing, that is 100% his choice. You have to, what I'm yeah, saying is, I think you, you, I know, I know, but hold on, but you keep saying encouraging, but I think you're, 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 you're sometimes pushing him more than you realize. You're right, would I like for him to be close to his half sister? Yes. But is that something that you should be bringing up to him more than even once every several months? I'd say no. Or at all? No. That's up to him. Not that you should see her, you should talk to her. That That's up to him to decide if he wants to have no, if he wants to never talk to her again in his life. That's up to him. 
or to you or to his dad. I get it. I totally get it. But I'm saying the pushing and the pressuring and the feeling of disappointment I want you to be aware of too. You're not going to push him into a good relationship with anyone, including yourself. It's going to be about giving him a little bit more space, not trying to fix the things. And that's what I'm saying. The more we, we get into it, the more it seems like you are taking responsibility for his life too much and even what he's doing and how he's interacting with people. And yes, you're right. Would it be good for him to spend more time with people? Absolutely. But at 28 years old, what are you going to do to create that or to affect that? If anything, you might get too much in the way that might make him feel like, again, my mom is disappointed. My mom is interfering. Something that makes him feel bad. So you're right. Social interaction, very good thing. How much of that is up to you? Almost zero. Physical exercise, very good thing. You pushing him or making him feel bad is not going to help him. So there's a lot of things that could be good advice and good things. But when we are pushing it or being intrusive about it, we just actually hurt the person and hurt our relationship. And that's what I meant by you will probably have to give him more space rather than get involved and get him to do something. So he's okay. He needs to look for a job. I'm going to send him jobs. That's your reaction first is to go fix it for him. And that's what I'm saying is you're going to probably have to do less than more. He seems to be in a tough spot. So I understand your concern for him. And I'm not saying there's some easy solution. But I just want you to be aware that some of the solutions might be doing less, which is not what you're used to. Like I said, you have a way of helping him to make him feel good in the moment. It's hard for you to shift away from that and to not give it to him. I, I can get that feeling. But we want to be aware of that bigger picture that we might be getting in the way of his progress rather than actually helping him. Okay, so basically, generally, I should gradually step back. Step back and have, yeah, you can have conversations with him, of course, but a little bit pull it back and be aware of what, like I said, my guess is it's going to bring up feelings for you, which I would understand of when you're pulling back. Am I, am I being mean to my son? Am I hurting him? Is this wrong? Uh, even like you said, okay, I'm not going to give him the money now, but I'm giving it to him later which seems to be like there's like a guilt there of not giving it to him now that I want to make sure I'm still giving it. Maybe he makes enough money. He's okay now when you, whenever you want to give it to him at some point you can, but there seems to be like even pulling back the money now you have to, you feel this need to convince yourself that I'm still giving it to him later. So it's not something bad that I'm withholding. Okay. And can I just ask one more question? Sure. Okay, now, while he, he's, ha he's having sort of no relationship or difficult relationship with the family generally, uh, he's, uh, he's so good with friends, including people who just come and do recording. He makes friends and, Let you me, know, all Actually, friends, I'm looking at friends. the... Sorry to interrupt you. But I went way over, which is on me. But let's talk a bit more after the break. So if you don't mind, let's get into okay. that topic after sure. the break. Okay. I hope I don't all get right. disconnected. Okay, thank you. I hope not. Okay, we'll be right back. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Welcome back. Before the break, we're the caller. Let's go back to her now. Okay. Hello. I think we have the. Hello. Hello. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure what was going on there. Yes. Uh, sorry, I had you on the other um, thing. Um, do you hear me well? Yeah, we do. I'm not sure what the person was saying, but yeah, go ahead. Uh, okay, so I was saying while he, his relationship uh, with family is either non-existent or not very good, uh, he's got a generally good relationship with the friends, whether new comers or, or old school friends. And um, 
he seems to be sort of uh, really appreciating whatever the friends say. It could be the silliest idea. Uh, he would be so impressed and he would think of it so, like, uh, full of praise for, for the idea, um, which could be partly because he was uh, brought up as a single child and he appreciates the friends more than ordinarily. Um, now, uh, my question to you is, um, is it kind of um, okay or is it uh, right for me to... Uh, he's actually going to uh, take a trip for um, a few days to go and meet a friend uh, somewhere within uh, UK. Uh, is it, and I, and I know this friend uh, very well, we used to go traveling, uh, the boys together and moms together, and um, I, I know the, the friend very well, and we have a good relationship, you know, like friends. Do you think it, it would be okay if I contact him and sort of ask him to have a, you know, conversation about certain things, you know, where the, the areas where he's got paranoid thoughts. Uh, do you I, think that's uh, the right thing to do? Uh, you mean t t for him to talk to your son about them? Yeah, so that they kind of, I'm sure it would come up anyway. Um, it probably will, but you know, I mean, again, it's it, this theme of trying to get too involved, I think. It, maybe you could contact the friend. I'm not saying you definitely should not, but even when you're saying he thinks these things about what friends are telling him, you know, we can't even have an effect on what he's going to think about things, and he's going to talk to his friends and be influenced by them, and we have to allow for that. We're not going to change his experience. We're not going to change what's what's going on. So I think more than anything, again, your thought is, it seems to go to what can I do to fix something for him or to make it more right? But we're going to have to, yeah. you know, he meets with his friends. He's going to think about what they say and he's going to be more affected by them than he is by you because at his age, that's pretty normal. And we yeah. might have to accept that as much as possible more than trying to get in the way of that or to intervene. So, you know, just to conclude, because we have some other people on hold too, but... Yeah, I understand. It, Sorry, I was just trying no, to no, take okay. advantage of the situation no, that no, the friend would, might, might say something that is in the right way rather than um so basically i wanted to use the influence of the friend on him if 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 effective but see that's my point is like, again you're trying to use things to affect him in my opinion it's getting too much involved with with the situations okay. you know it's yeah he's you know it's like how do i use these things to affect him and again in a lot of these cases you're going to need to do less rather than more okay I yeah. understand. Thank you so much, Dr. Sure. Farid. Good luck. I Take appreciate care. your time and advice. My, Thank you. My pleasure. All right, let's go into our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Um, you know, doing the show... From a distance, sometimes we have to deal with some technical issues or miscommunication. So Ghazal is always there in the studio making sure things run smoothly. Uh, but we had some issues with the phone with some people on it then disconnected. But nonetheless, uh, this is the last segment of the show. And I wanted to talk a bit about some things that came up with that caller. Um, being a parent is probably the hardest job you're going to have in your life. Something I'll, I mention on this show a lot because I think it's true that you can prepare, study, everything possible to get ready for it. But you're still going to face challenges, make mistakes, and have lots of room to learn and grow in that process. So it's something I always want to make sure I make clear because 
when I speak with parents, of course, I'm going to give them some feedback or some ideas. Um, but it's always with that understanding that what they're doing is incredibly challenging. And even when we're looking at what's going on, as is the case, whether it's we're looking at ourselves or someone else, we want to approach it not by thinking of it as judging or blaming someone for what's going on, but trying to understand things and then see if we can move forward. Uh, so with that caller, we you know saw her. She was in a very challenging situation with her son. Wish the best to, to them in that process. But we did have some themes that came up that I did want to elaborate on in the last segment. Because, again, because uh, being a parent is so hard, one of the most challenging things about it is, what am I supposed to do to help my kids? And usually we think if we're helping someone, that means we give them whatever we can give them. You help in every way that you can, which as a general rule can be good and make sense. Most of the time, let's say with a friend, family member, giving them what you can is good. And we even tell ourselves to, to give more, to be selfless, to be generous, all those types of things. But as a general principle, especially as a parent, this isn't going to be the best way to approach what we choose to do and not do for our kids. So I always talk about this the parenting philosophy we have. And for many people, it's a pain prevention uh, philosophy of parenting, meaning that my job as a parent is to make sure my child feels no pain. Or if I can intervene in any way that takes away pain or discomfort or some negative feeling, I always have to do it. And in general, this is true. If your child is uh, in pain, you want to help them. Or if you can prevent some physical pain, you want to prevent that from happening. But when we take it to an extreme that we try to just avoid any kind of pain, or we use that as our guiding principle, what we'll find is that rather than just helping our child, we're going to prevent some levels or ways of growing for our child. Because the only way we grow is through discomfort. And the only way we can be ready for this world and have a realistic relationship with this world is if we face pain and discomfort because that's part of life. So we have to recognize that. I think it's in uh, the book, The Road Less Traveled by, uh, I think it's M. Scott Peck. I forgot the exact name, but he says that the first sentence is that life is difficult, something along those lines. And I really like that as an opening line for a book. It's that we have to have this recognition and realization and acceptance that life is hard and it's going to be hard. And so as a parent, you, of course, want to love your kids and give them the best that you can. But you acknowledge that life is going to be hard and it will be hard for them, too. And that's OK, because life is hard for all of us. Yet we can survive and move on and and we have to be connected to that reality of the world to really be a part of it. So remember that as a parent, you will love your kids. You will do what you can to support them and take care of them. But life will still be challenging for them, even as a kid, but especially as they get older, too. That's just going to be a part of life. So we want to take away this mindset that I'm going to get rid of all the pain for my child. It's not possible and it's not even helpful for them. So we don't want to even make that our goal or our mindset. And when we're deciding what to do or not to do for our child, we want to make sure we get don't get too caught up in the moment of what feels good for them and in that way feels good for us, but make sure we have a bigger picture and bigger perspective at the same time. Because if we're constantly worried about what feels good in the moment, well, then we're going to take away places where they can grow or we might not even be helping them. If you keep giving someone food just because they want, let's say, something sweet because it's 
tasty, that's not good for them. If they need to do work and you say you don't need to do it because it makes you uncomfortable, that's not good for them either, even though in the moment that might be the thing that feels better. So when we recognize our position and our responsibility as a parent is to help the child grow, not just help the child feel good, that changes the way we might do things and also not do things. One of the classic examples I give, give is if your child comes to you and says, oh, I didn't work on this project for a month and now it's due tomorrow. A lot of us will swoop in into rescue mode and think, okay, let me do it for them. We'll stay up with them, help them finish. They might even fall asleep and we'll finish it for them. And what's our driving force? It's that I don't want my child to feel bad tomorrow. I don't want my child to feel a bad consequence tomorrow. It might bring up some of our own stuff about school and success and you should never get a bad grade. And if you don't, uh, if you get a bad grade, you won't be successful and all these things that might come up just from this one moment. And so we swoop in and we'll feel pr pretty good about ourselves. You know what? I did the whole project. I stayed up till 3.30 in the morning and got it done. And tomorrow my child won't feel bad and we feel like we've done something good. Now, I'm not saying every situation is the same. Sometimes we do need to swoop in and rescue our kids. But in a situation like this, we also have to be aware of, well, what are the consequences of what I've done? And also, what consequences have I prevented my child from facing? It might be better for my child to actually recognize when you don't do the work, when you procrastinate, you face consequences for that. And look, we all do it. So it's not that we're going to judge our kid for procrastinating either. That's not the alternative, either rescue them or judge them and you punish them. You don't actually need to punish them. The consequence of life will be its own punishment and its own consequence that will allow them to learn from it. You don't need to make them feel worse. You can explore with them, oh, what happened? And usually when we procrastinate, it's because we have some anxiety about the thing or we went to the immediate gratification and we kept avoiding it or there was no accountability it was just we had a whole month to do it but there's probably a lot of things you can explore with your child to help them understand what happened rather than just focusing on do i judge them or do i fix it for them there's a lot of room in between that we want to make sure we explore so it actually might be better for your child's growth to face these consequences now will they feel worse when they go to class tomorrow with an incomplete project they will and that is okay, not that we want our kid to feel bad, but that we understand that there's consequences in life and we all go through things that don't always feel good, but that's okay. We survive them, we learn, and we move on. So we look at our kids and we think, am I helping them grow or am I holding them back? And a distinction that I always try to make, and this goes both when we're talking about uh, working with your kids, but also individually, is, is the pain or discomfort I'm feeling the pain of growth or the pain of damage because the pain of damage we do want to avoid if you're exercising and you're working out in a way that's tearing your ligaments or muscles that's not good that's not we you know we say no pain no gain but that's not what we're talking about that pain is damaging you but if you're exercising and you're starting to get sore and you're pushing yourself that's actually really good that's how you're going to build muscle get stronger be more in, in shape. So if you're doing like, a, like some kind of class, a body pump class, it's going to push you to the point where it's uncomfortable in a good way. It does actually help you grow if you're able to do that. So we always have to make that distinction. And it's not always clear. It's not always black and white about is this pain damage or is this pain towards growth? And you have to look at that as a parent, say, what's going on here? What's happening? And again, we have to be comfortable with the uncomfortable feelings. That yes, it doesn't feel good when your child doesn't feel good. But it doesn't mean you're a bad mom and dad if your child doesn't feel good. 
And this is where that mindset is so important. No matter what I do, my child will be sad sometimes. And sometimes allowing them to feel the feelings is okay. Oh, grandma just passed away? It's okay if they're sad. But a lot of parents coming from the pain prevention philosophy think, don't even tell them or avoid it or make sure they don't know anything about it or hide this or hide that so that they don't even find out what happened because the only thing we're looking at is preventing pain rather than looking at, okay, maybe it's okay that when loss has happened, it's actually good to feel sad about it, to let them go through it. Let's not rob our child of the opportunity to grieve this loss and also to say goodbye to this close person in their life. A lot of times I work with people as they've gotten older and they say, you know, when my aunt died or this person died in my life, they didn't let me be involved in any way and I never really got to say goodbye to them. Part of why we have things like memorials and funerals and other things is to actually allow us to grieve and to say that goodbye, to formalize and ritualize it in a way that actually helps us to say goodbye to that person and yes, we hold them in our hearts and our minds, but to move forward in a way that feels better and we're not stuck in that loss. So we often take away opportunities for growth and even natural healing and things to happen because we want to make sure our kids don't feel bad in the moment. We don't want to let that be the driving force. So we have to be okay with them not being okay. Not that we want our kids to be sad, not that we don't care, but we sometimes realize that it is necessary and natural for them to have some feelings that don't feel very good in part of being human. And what can be even harder is sometimes we might have something that helps in the moment, but because we want to make sure we're encouraging or supporting our children to grow, we might not give that help or that thing that we have. As I was saying in the example of the the kid who doesn't do their project, you could stay up and do the work and finish it. It's not that you're incapable, it's impossible. So that pain can be prevented. But you have to ask yourself, is that the right thing to do? And you have to make sure you're okay and realize sometimes I can fix the problem, but I'm going to have to choose not to because I know it's better for my child to let them figure it out, let them fix it, let them deal with the consequences because my job isn't to... Uh, take away their pain. My child is to help them grow and develop. My job is to help them become the best version of themselves. And so if we remember that your job as a parent isn't to make your kids happy. I know that sounds strange. We sometimes think that's the only thing, but especially I mean to not make them feel happy every moment. That sometimes being sad, not being okay is actually okay. And the best thing we can give to our child. Is this pain leading to growth or damage? Very hard to determine, but if we're very uncomfortable with negative feelings, and if it brings up these feelings that I'm a bad mom or dad, we're almost always going to convince ourselves that, oh no, this is damage, this is bad, this is going to hurt them too much, they can't handle this. And actually what we end up doing is by taking away the pain time and time again, we actually do make our child feel more weak, that they can't handle the things that will come up. And as they get older, the things that come up will be bigger and more painful and have larger consequences but now when life really gets serious and the stakes get even higher our child now growing up to let's say an adolescent and a young adult won't feel like they can handle what's going on because we haven't shown them that they can tolerate these things and get through it themselves so always be aware am i helping my child grow or am i getting in the way and true love means i want you to become the best 
version and potential or meet your potential, which means I sometimes have to let you struggle and go through some things, even though I love you. All right, that brings us to the end of today's show. Thank you to Ghazal in the studio, as always. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dulaqui. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.